If you have your Bibles this morning, you can open them. I'm, can you just stay on those keys just for a moment? Because I don't know where this is going and we're just going to hang out. You can go to your Bibles in Philippians. We're, we're going to go on a tour of Scripture today. If you're watching online, hopefully you can keep up with us uh, with the notes the, and such on the screen and the verses on the screen. If you're in the room today or you're watching wherever you're watching, I want you to tune in this morning. I want you to focus because I'm going to tackle a hard subject this morning. I, 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 I want to tackle something that you, you might not ever hear another preacher preach about because it's a hard subject, but that's okay. I, I'm okay diving into the hard stuff. And I want to talk about how God is glorified in our suffering. <laughs> I want to talk about how, how you and I can find the joy of the Lord in pain and in suffering. You know, as we look around us today, there is, we're surrounded by suffering. You turn on the news and you hear, whether it's the pandemic or sickness, disease or death, you, it's all around us. Everywhere you turn, there's, it's, there's conversations about suffering, whether it's ethnic suffering or physical suffering or spiritual suffering or persecution. And the first thing that we tend to do when we hear about suffering is what we, why, God, why is this happening? Why are you allowing bad things to happen to good people? Has anybody ever thought that before or heard it said? Why are you allowing, does God not care about what we're facing through, you know, going? Does he not care about what we're facing? When we go through difficult times, when we go through hardship, a lot of times we want to know who caused this? Who, who originated this thing? And we want to get even. We want, we want there to be some sort of justice. We want there to be some sort of making of things right. What if I told you this morning that God is sitting on the throne of heaven today, ruling all things by the word of his power? And there's not one thing that goes on in your life, whether good, bad, or indifferent. There's not one thing that is outside of his control and his authority today. There's not one thing that we face. There's not one thing that we go through that our Heavenly Father doesn't sit as the supreme ruler over. In the beginning, God created. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no death, there was no pain, there was no suffering, there was no heartache. In the beginning, God, and He created absolute peace. Man walked with God, and there was absolutely nothing that inhibited that relationship. Until Romans 5.12 tells us, until sin entered the world, and through sin, death, by one man's sin, the, the anguish and the suffering that you and I see all around us today that has compiled year upon year, year upon year. We see the suffering of man, the anguish, the broken hearts, the sickness, the disease. It's all around us, all by one man's sin. Creation was subjected to that depravity. Romans tells us that, that when sin entered the world, that creation itself came under that curse. Romans also tells us that creation is waiting for a day. I'm waiting for a day. 
I'm waiting for the day where that trumpet shall sound and my Redeemer, I will behold him face to face. I'm, I'm waiting for that day. But creation itself, the Bible says, is groaning for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. Creation right now in the midst of COVID is groaning. What's happening in COVID is creation is groaning. What's happening right now in, in the natural disasters, creation is crying out. What's happening all around us? Creation, the world, the created is crying out for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. The Bible tells us that suffering is guaranteed. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, after you have suffered a little while. <laughs> it doesn't say when the suffering gets removed. It says after you have suffered a little while. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. In Romans chapter 5, it says, We glory in our sufferings. In Psalms 34 verse 19, The righteous person may have not just some, but it says it may have, they may have many troubles. Says, they may have many troubles, but I, I didn't read the whole verse there, but I, I'll just pause. It says that they may have many troubles, but what? The Lord delivers them out of them all. Y'all needed to shout better there. In Acts 14, 22, it says, through many tribulations we may enter the kingdom. So if we're guaranteed to suffer, you know, the, the modern church won't tell you these things. The, the, the prosperity gospel and the modern, modern gospel wants to tell you, oh, life is going to be grand. When you get born again, everything's going to be smooth sailing. Everything's going to be perfect. God's going to bless you with a thousand cattle on the hill. And all these great things are going to happen. But that's not the story of the gospel. Jesus actually said, you will suffer persecution for my sake. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. So if we know it's coming, why not prepare for it? How do you prepare for suffering? How do you prepare and how is God glorified in the midst of human tragedy? Many of you are familiar with a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor during World War II in the Nazi Germany. Not only did he pastor, but he led many men and women through this great tragedy when the Nazis padlocked the doors of the confessing church I want to read this to you when they padlocked the doors of the confessing church seminaries in Germany in 1937 Bonhoeffer took theological training underground and opened his own before the Gestapo shut it down in 1939 Bonhoeffer managed to train 67 seminary students these 67 seminarians in Bonhoeffer formed a band of brothers that could not be torn apart. Although some of them were arrested, some were dispersed by the Nazi oppression, and others were enlisted into the army service and spread across the globe. Bonhoeffer was on the Nazi watch list. He was tracked closely, and he was eventually forbidden to publish or preach or lecture. So to stay in touch with his former students and his pastor friends and to continue their training, Bonhoeffer resorted to a form of a letter. He typed and carbon copied each post, then he added a handwritten greeting and signature. These letters were more like theological articles published right under the nose of the Nazis and distributed to his brotherhood and to the other closely connected pastor friends of his. 
At its height, these letters were distributed to 150 readers. In Hitler's fury, pastors and confessing church had been stripped of any official identity. Many were pressed into military. They were forced to fight for the Nazis they hated. Seeing no way around it, many of those pastors volunteered for military service. The illegal pastors that didn't want to join willingly were branded or labeled by the Nazis as unemployed, which meant that they were going to be put on the front lines of the war. Yet in spite of the scattering of the seminarians, Bonhoeffer worked tirelessly to track his friends. And he kept the circle informed of the latest news of what was happening in the brotherhood. And so in these letters, he would address what was happening to their friends, their comrades, these other ministers. During 1942, just a few months before he was finally arrested and sent off to a Nazi prison where he would be tried and eventually killed, Bonhoeffer drafted and distributed one of his final letters. (laughs) I want you to think about that for a moment. What do you say to a bunch of lonely pastors who have been dispersed who are doing ministry illegally or have been forced into Nazi service. How do you comfort them? How do you train them? How do you equip them? How do you help them in the middle of their suffering? Here's his letter that he wrote. Dear brother, and this is in November 29th, 1942. Dear brother, at the beginning of a letter that is this solemn, in this solemn hour is meant to call you all to true joy. There necessarily stands the names of those brothers who have died since I wrote to you. And he goes through and he lists the, the brothers that had been killed or died. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Isaiah 35.10 We are glad for them. Indeed, should we say that we sometimes secretly envy them. From early times, the Christian church has considered that the melancholy of the heart, the the word there, the, the melancholy of the heart or resignation, to be one of the mortal sins, to serve the Lord with joy, Psalms 100 verse 2. Thus do the scriptures call out to us, for this our life has been given to us, and for this it has been preserved for us unto this present hour. This joy, which no one shall take from us, belongs not only to those who have been called home, but also to us who are alive. We are one with them in this joy, but never in melancholy. How are we going to be able to help those who have become joyless and discouraged if we ourselves are not borne along by courage and joy? Nothing contrived or forced is intended here, but something bestowed and free. Joy abides with God, and it comes down from God and embraces spirit, soul, and body. And where this joy has seized a person, there it spreads, it carries one away, there it bursts open closed doors. A sort of joy that exists, knows nothing at all of the heart's pain, anguish, and dread. It does not last, it can only numb a person for a moment. The joy of God has gone through poverty of the manger and the agony of the cross, That is why it is invincible, irrefutable. It does not deny the anguish when it is there, but finds God in the midst of it. 
In fact, precisely there. It does not deny grave sin, but finds forgiveness precisely in this way. It looks death straight in the eye, but it finds life precisely within it. What matters is this joy that has overcome. It alone is credible. It alone helps and heals. The joy of our companions who have been called home is also the joy of those who have overcome. The risen one bears the marks of the cross on his... Oh, I skipped a page of my notes. This joy of our companions who have been called home is also the joy of those who have overcome. The risen one bears the marks of the cross on his body. We will stand in daily overcoming. They overcome for all time. God alone knows how far away or near at hand we stand to the final overcoming in which our own death may be made joy for us. Some among us suffer greatly because they are internally deadening themselves against so much suffering such as these war years bring in their wake. One person said to me recently, I pray every day that I may not become numb. That is by all means a good prayer, and yet we must guard ourselves against confusing ourselves with Christ. Christ endured all suffering and all human guilt himself in full measure. This was what made him Christ. He and he alone bore it all, but Christ was able to suffer along with others because he was simultaneously able to redeem from suffering. Out of his love and power to redeem people came his power to suffer with them. We are not called to take upon ourselves the suffering of the world. By ourselves, we are fundamentally not able to suffer with others at all because we are not able to redeem. But the wish to suffer with them by one's own power will inevitably be crushed into resignation. We are called only to gaze full of joy at the one who in reality suffered with us and became the Redeemer. Here is Bonhoeffer in the middle of absolute tragedy. And he captures this phrase. I love this phrase. The joy of God has gone through the poverty of the manger and the agony of the cross. And that is why it is invincible, invincible and irrefutable. What is our sustaining power in the midst of suffering? When life is happening all around us, when tragedy is happening, are you experiencing, are you living in the invincible, irrefutable joy of the Lord? God is glorified in the middle of tragedy in the middle of suffering, when you find your delight in Him? Is He the joy of your life? Is He the, it's easy to find the joy of the Lord when you're on the mountaintop rejoicing. It's easy to find His joy when everything's going smooth, but when things get rough and the way gets dark, is His joy your delight in suffering? Does anybody hear me this morning? Suffering comes in all sorts of ways, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, sickness, illness. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, Paul said, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Yeah, the suffering comes, the perplexing comes, the, the affliction comes, but we're not destroyed. We're not driven to despair. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. We also know that 
in suffering, we are not to do suffering alone. Suffering happens. Affliction happens within community. You're not called to be a lone ranger and face hardship on your own. Galatians 6.2 says that we are to bear one another's burdens. To walk with one another. The church is a refuge. It's a place of healing. It's a place of strength. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. So how do we deal with suffering? How do we handle suffering? How do we handle the hard times? If you turn on the news right now and, and all your life is consumed, if you, those watching are here in person, you, life is consumed by COVID and this, that, or whatever else is going on in your world, you can get lost in the fear. You can get lost in the worry. You can get lost in the depression. That's not the life that you're called to. I'm, I, I'm calling out to some folks this morning. If you can just have your ears even slightly open to me this morning, I'm calling out to some folks who might find themselves right now in a pit of fear or worry or anxiety over life and what's happening around you. You've allowed the fear of the virus to control you. You've allowed the fear of what happens tomorrow to control you. You've held the fear of what's in your bank account or not in your bank account to control you. Worry, anxiety. I'm calling out to you today that if you can just taste of his joy today, if you'll let go of your pride, if you'll let go of your worry, if you'll let go of those things and embrace Jesus today, if you'll embrace the suffering Savior today, if you'll taste of the sweetness of the cross today, you'll find that he's your joy and your delight in the middle of hardship. In Philippians chapter 1, I want to just skim through Philippians this morning. And in verse 4, it says, Always in every prayer of mine, I'm making requests for you with all joy. All joy. Paul is writing from prison. He's writing from the Roman jail and he's saying, I'm praying with you. I'm interceding for you today with all joy. There's joy in my heart today. These, these prison bars don't determine my delight. The circumstance that I find myself in doesn't determine where my joy comes from. I've tasted of something sweeter. I've tasted of something greater. In verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me actually have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Just because I have been through hardship and hard times, I've been persecuted, but they've actually furthered the gospel. The, the suffering that I've gone through, can you say that about your life? The suffering that I have faced has furthered the gospel. Can you, can you sing the song with Paul that the hard times and the midnight hour have furthered the gospel? Can you think about Paul at the midnight hour who's been beaten within an inch of his life, is chained in prison with Silas, and in the middle of their prison begin to sing out worship to God? Most of us would be on Facebook posting how we hate the world and we hate everybody around us and we just wish it all would end. But Paul is singing hymns in the midnight hour. 
the furtherance of the gospel. The jailer got born again. The family got born again because, because somebody was delighting in God. Somebody found their joy in God. Somebody found their strength in the Lord. He says, it turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 20, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Whether I live or whether I die, Christ will be magnified in my body. No matter what happens, he's, he is the shepherd that has gone before me. No matter what happens, he is my example, and he is going to be glorified in my life. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. As If I live, I have Christ. If I die, it's gain. What can you do with a bunch of people who say, whether I live or whether I die, it doesn't matter. I am going to delight in my Savior. I'm going to find my joy and my strength than him. But then Paul says something we would probably take a magic marker and write it out of our Bibles. In the natural, we would want to take a big old sharpie and just draw a line through it. Verse 29, it says, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also What does it say? To suffer. (laughs) Not only have you been granted to believe, you've been given the gift of faith. It's by faith that you're saved, by grace, through faith. It's not the working of man, it's the gift of God. You've been given a gift of faith to believe in Jesus. But not only to believe, But you've been given the gift of suffering for his sake. Did you know that going through hardship is a gift? (laughs) Did, Did you know... And you can't take it back to Macy's and get an exchange. Did you know that the gift of suffering... Is a gift to you? Christ is our example in the gift that he's given to us. He's our example in hardship in Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who what? For the joy. Everybody say that. For the joy. Say it one more time. For the joy that was set before him. Yeah, the cross was in the natural. The beating was in the natural. The betrayals were in the natural. But there was a joy that was set before him. He saw something that the natural eye couldn't see. In the natural, we can't see the the, the joy. We don't see the hope in the cross. We don't see the delight in a cross. We don't see delight in persecution. But he had spiritual eyes. He had spiritual eyes that enabled him to see the joy that was set before him. And he endured the cross. He's our example in temptation. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 it says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet he is without sin. When you face temptation, 
when you face the, the adversary of your soul and you face the temptation of this life, Jesus is the example. Jesus is the example. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit was leading him and directing him every step of the way. And what was the sustaining source for Jesus in the middle of temptation? His delight in the Word of God. His delight in who He was. He was the Word made, made manifest. He was the Word made flesh. He was delighting in His own nature, in His own character. The Word of the Lord was pouring out of Him because He was the Word. And that word sustained him. That word was sustaining him in the midst of hardship. When temptation comes, when life happens, is the word of God pouring out of your mouth. You can't, it's not just good enough to have it in your heart. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the message concerning Christ. It's not just good enough to hide His Word in your heart. You have to hear His Word. You have to meditate on His Word. You have to walk according to His Word. Does anybody hear me this morning? Or am I just preaching to nobody? you got to get the Word from your heart to your mouth and begin to declare it and speak that thing out. You've got to get His Word and your life aligned. Find delight in His Word. His word will sustain you. If you're struggling with addiction, you need his word if, and delighting in his word. If you're struggling with, with, with a sin that's easily entangling and ensnaring you, you need to get his word and his delight and his word on the inside of you. These are not just words and letters and colors on a page. This is his sustaining, delighting joy for your life. This is his joy. This is, I said this is his joy. This is the joy of the Lord. Where does, where does God find his joy? He finds his joy in his son. And this is, this is, this is. Jesus was manifest in the flesh. This is. He finds his joy and his delight in his word. It never changes. If God were, you say, well, well, God gets his delight in me. God finds his joy in me. If that were true, friend, we'd be in bad shape. Because I guarantee you, before you ever leave the parking lot, you're going to say or do something that would aggravate and anger a holy God. It's inevitable. And so if he were to find his satisfaction in you, we would be in trouble. But his word never changes. It never fades. It's not... He can't revoke his word. God is not a God that he should lie. What his word says is infallible, is without error. It will exist through all eternity. His word is our rock, and it is his joy. So in God, if, that, if his word is his joy, then guess where you and I need to find ourselves? In the word. If you want the joy of the Lord, you got to find yourself in his word. It's living, it's active, it's breathing. If you get close enough, you can feel the heartbeat of Jesus in this. 
If, you, if you'll get close enough, you can, you can feel his heart beating and his lungs breathing. This word is living. It's active. He's our example in sickness and in death. In John 11, we find Jesus at the tomb of his best bud, Lazarus. I cannot imagine what those moments must have been like with Jesus and his best friend. In this life, in the natural life, somebody he cared so much about, even maybe greater than than some of his disciples. We don't know. But he's there at his tomb. And in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He was moved with great compassion and emotion at the tomb of his friend. But that's not where he camped out. Can I say, it's okay to have emotions. It's okay to, in the midst of sickness and death and hardship, to have the emotional response. What's not okay is to camp out and to live there. Jesus wept, shortest verse, gets up and says, did I not say to you, in verse 40, that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, even through death's valley. He's leading the way. He's my example in persecution. In 1 Peter chapter 2, for this you were called. (laughs) Let's just make it plain. If you haven't got it yet, suffering, persecution is on the table for you at some point. He said, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who then, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? When people poked him, literally, when people were poking at him, speaking evil against him, he didn't return it. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. He was committed to his father's joy. He was committed to his father's delight. Suffering, when we face hardship, brings about the work of God in our life. In James chapter 1, it says, count it all. What's it say? count it all joy when you face trials when when you face hardship in life do you do you sign up do you sign the document that says i'm considering this joy you know you tell your friends this is the best this is the best trial i've ever faced i love it woo let's let's do another this is so good When you face trials, when you face hardships, count it joy. It means to command yourself, the word count, to command yourself to be in a place of joy. We don't want to walk in joy. Our natural carnal self wants to walk in despair and all these other things. James tells us to command yourself. Self, shut up. You need to tell yourself, self, be quiet. Stop talking. 
listen. You are going to be happy. You may not feel like it right now, but I am telling you, you are going to pray in the Spirit. You're going to sing worship. You're going to delight yourself in the Word. I'm not going to allow my flesh to run wild. I'm not going to allow myself to go out into the pit and in the, in the muck and the pig slop. I am going, come on somebody, I am going to be joyful. I'm going to find the joy of the Lord as my strength. I don't need to go pick up a cigarette. I don't need to go get another drink. I don't need another relationship. I don't need, I, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is going to sustain me. The joy of the Lord is going to bring me through this. The joy of the Lord is going to change me. So count it all joy. Knowing, he goes on, knowing that the testing of your faith produces. Isn't that good? But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When you find your joy in the Lord in the middle of suffering, He's completing you. He's perfecting you. <laughs> you know, it's not hard to live in the fire. We make it hard. We make it a lot harder. It's not hard to live in the fire. You just walk right on in. Matter of fact, somebody around you is probably willing enough to throw you in. Right? It's not hard. I, I have found in life there are plenty of people who would rather just see me burn. And so I say, crank it up, baby. Burn, baby, burn. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found the Lord right in the middle of the flame. So let it burn. The people who will throw you in, they'll be consumed by the fire, and you'll find Jesus right in the middle of the trial, right in the middle of the hardship. So it's okay. Let the fire, crank it up, baby, because Jesus is perfecting me. Turn up the fire. Let it come, Lord. It's okay. I know you're going to have your perfect work in my life. I'm just trying to prepare you this morning. My job as a pastor is to help you and shepherd you. So, so I hope this is helping. In Job 23, verse 10, you know the story of Job. When he has tried me, I'll come forth like gold. <laughs> He's perfecting you. Malachi chapter 3, he will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may be present, presented to the Lord offerings in righteousness. I love 1 Peter. And this is, when it comes to suffering, this, these verses, you just need to read 1 Peter 1. It's great. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. I'll read a snippet of it. And this you greatly rejoice. What's that word rejoice? To dance and to spin about wildly. <laughs> I, I don't know, when was the last time when you faced hardship, you found yourself at the altar dancing and spinning about wildly? <laughs> I thank God, you know, we, we, there's, we had a joke there for a while. People say, Pastor, you, you just, every week you're just getting annihilated drunk in the spirit. 
you know, just laughing and carrying on? Are you, you know, is everything okay? Hey, I find his joy is even better in the suffering. <laughs> his joy and his delight gets better in the hardship. So turn it up because I need more joy. And I'll find my completion in him. So in this you greatly, greatly rejoice. I'm combining words. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is an interesting thought. I'm not, this would be a great personal study. I'm not gonna pause to, to jump in I, there's, I have so many notes. I, I, I want to jump in. When you talk about suffering and, and facing suffering, there's so much in Scripture about this. I'd love to just jump in and dig around in any of these. But this is a good one. That the genuineness of your faith, we know that our faith is real. How many of you this morning know you're born again because of faith? It's real in your heart because of faith. But the reality of that faith, as it is tested, becomes more genuine and more real to you. It's not meaning that, the, that faith is not genuine. It doesn't mean that, that you got scammed by some TV artist, you know, scam artist, and you bought into something that, that wasn't real. It means that your faith, as it is tested, becomes more genuine and real to you. That means that instead of having to look at the girly magazines to try to make yourself happy, the reality of faith, the genuineness of your faith is more real than that, that garbage. Instead of having to fill your life with whatever you hear me this morning. Instead of having to fill your life with whatever addiction, with whatever substance, whatever thing, success is just as bad. You got to be a successful whatever. You got you to make so much money. Whatever it is, instead of having to fill your life with those things. Does anybody hear me? Your faith becomes more real. Who God is, your, the, the reality of this unseen world that's all around us becomes more real to you. All of a sudden, your desires change. You don't, you don't need to delight in something of the world because your desires have changed and you need something healthy. You need something real. And eternity, heaven, the word of God, the joy of the Lord, his righteousness is more delightful and more real than the things of this world. I, I, wanna, I want you to consider something. I want you to consider something with me this morning. In the natural world, this world, and all of its relationships, and all of its pleasures, all the trees, the skies, the clouds, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything in this life, everything we know in this life, every job, every career, every home, every house, every pet, every animal, Everything in this life is under the curse. There's coming a day where it'll be consumed by fire. It'll be burnt. It'll be removed. 
And the only thing that will remain is God and His new heaven and His new earth. It'll be the only thing that will remain. Even the thoughts of this life will be removed. Even the recollection of this world will be removed. Do you hear me this morning? That tells me that heaven and his presence and the reality of who he is and his goodness and his mercy and his justice and his righteousness and his love and all that he is is more real and more lasting than this world that we can see. What we can't see is more eternal, is lasting longer, is more real than what you see in the natural. So when you face hardship and you face the difficult season, know this, it's under the curse. Jesus said it is finished. It's under the curse and there's coming a day, friend, where there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and the remembrance of this life will be wiped away. So prepare now. Prepare now. Find your delight. Find your joy. Rejoice in things that matter. Rejoice in things. Don't rejoice because you haven't faced a hard time in a week. Don't find all those things are great. But let your ultimate rejoicing be in what's eternal. Remember the disciples. I, I mean... It, now listen, I love miracles. I love, I'm so thankful for the testimony for, of DJ and what's happening right now. I, I'm so thankful for, for miracles and signs and what, all those things. Remember the disciples, they came back to Jesus. They were all excited that they were casting out devils and they were seeing the sick healed. Jesus, guess what we did? And Jesus kind of looked at him and said, duh. Freely you've received, freely give, duh. You know, this is, yes. This is basic one-on-one -on -one Christianity. You know, we get so excited over the little things. Right? The miracles and the signs and the wonders and all of those things. That's basic one-on-one -on -one Christianity. Paul said in Hebrews 6 that laying hands, all of these, this is basic. And we think it's so... Amazing, and it is, but that's basic. What did Jesus say? Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Those are good, but there's something better. That's good, but that's just, that's dealing with the works of the devil in this life. I've dealt with the works of the devil for eternity. The hardship and the oppression, the curse of the law, has been broken for all eternity. I'm preaching better than your amen in this morning. What is the secret then, Paul? What's the secret? Is there a secret sauce for finding sweetness in suffering? What's the secret? Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 12, he says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So, so Paul, you figured it out. You, you figured it out. So what's, how do we do this? 
Anybody asking that question this morning? Paul, how do we do this? You, you said that you've learned how to abound and how to be a base. So, so what's the secret? You find it in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, yet indeed, I also count all things for loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ. I count it all, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I count it as loss. I lay it aside. I'm pressing on, he said in Philippians. I'm pressing on. I'm pressing in to take hold of Jesus. One thing I do, I forget what lies behind. So many times we want to we wanna bring what lies behind with us. We want to bring the experience. We want to bring the good times, the bad times. We want to bring the memories. And we try to bring them in to where we're at today and say, yeah, but remember when that happened. Or remember when this situation happened. Or remember when that, when, when that happened. And we bring the path. And Paul said, I don't know about all that. I, I'm counting it all as loss to take hold of Jesus. What's the secret to take hold of Jesus? What's the secret to find sweetness in the suffering? To take hold of Jesus. What's the, what's the secret for your joy in the middle of hardship? To take hold of Jesus. To count it all as lost. It doesn't mean that we ignore reality. It means that there's a greater reality than what we're facing today. The secret to your joy, the secret to your satisfaction is in Jesus. The world will tell you that it is in the next drink or the next this or the next that. Your next success, the next, the next certificate on the wall, the next whatever. But those things are under the curse, they're going to burn, they're great in the time being, but there's something sweeter, there's something greater. You bring the sweetness of Christ to someone who's suffered and lost much, and all of a sudden, the sweetness of who He is, the sweetness of our Savior becomes more valuable than anything ever lost. I, I've lost it all, Job said, but the sweetness of my Savior, the sweetness of Jesus, is greater than anything I've ever lost. And to those who are in abundance, the sweetness of Jesus is greater than anything I possess. My Jesus, Job said it, my Redeemer lives. No matter what I face, no matter what I lose, no matter what goes on in my life, my Redeemer lives. He is the hope in the midst of adversity. He is the life in the midst of death. He is the healing in the midst of sickness. He is deliverance in the midst of sin. He is the orphan's father. He is the widow's husband. He is the restorer of the broken. He is the liberator of the captive. He is the riches to the poor. And he is the pearl of great price to the wealthy. He is not just something. He is the sum and the originator and the sustainer of all things. He is my Redeemer, and He lives. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on this earth. And after my flesh has wasted away, I shall see God.
My Redeemer lives. No matter what happens, my Redeemer lives. You set your face like flint and grab hold of Jesus in the middle of life. And you'll find your joy. You'll find your delight. And all of the things of this world will be count as loss. Paul could say, I lay it all aside. I press into Jesus because he tasted of something greater. Behind those prison walls, he tasted of something more real. Behind those prison bars, he tasted of the sweetness of the Lord. It was more alive and more real than the stench of that prison. More alive, the sounds of heaven were ringing in his ears greater than the sounds of the clashing bars. There was something greater. There was a reality more real my redeemer lives why don't you stand with me this morning I have two two verses I want to read to you my redeemer lives <laughs> no matter what I face my redeemer I, you know I have to say just pause for a moment one of the things that blessed my heart yesterday, being at the hospital with, with DJ and Kathy and walking through all that was happening. One of the, they, <laughs> I love that they were, when all of this started, they were witnessing to their roommate. I, I love that. He's in, the, he's in the hospital because he's got fluid on the lungs because of the cancer and they're, telling their roommate about Jesus and how Jesus set him free from smoking and how Jesus had set him free from drinking and telling this, this man next to him who was an alcoholic that Jesus could set him free too. <laughs> I love it. Talk about an illustrated sermon. He's preaching Jesus and you need to get your life right. And in the next moment, he was gone. <laughs> Talk about a sermon. <laughs> and, and what makes this even better is Kathy said they asked me to leave the room not because I was upset because I was praying so loudly and kept saying Jesus heal my husband Jesus touch him she said I was yelling it so loud the nurse looked at me and said honey Jesus is here but we can't hear what we're doing you're going to have to step out of the room <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know <laughs> my Redeemer lives. <laughs> it's when you know. flashbacks of, of, of Kathy getting born again and DJ getting born again and them getting I'm, I'm, I'm having mental images right now as I'm sharing this watching the, watching the God story unfold in their life it's awesome in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 it says we're in this tent we're groaning burdened not by the burden of life but we're burdened that we can be further clothed. What's the longing of our heart? 
What's the longing that's crying out within you? That I can be further clothed. Not clothed with natural clothes and natural things, but that this life will be swallowed up by life. That this mortality, this natural life will be swallowed up by God. Swallowed up by the, the Zoe life, that God kind of life. I want, I'm, I'm waiting the day where this life will be swallowed up in God fully. He goes on in his letters to the Corinthians and he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible, when this flesh has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, my brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody give the Lord praise this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're looking for that day, Jesus. We're looking forward to that day when our hope, our faith is made sight before us. Hallelujah. Jesus, we're waiting for that day. We're awaiting that day, Lord, when we will see you face to face. The suffering of this world cannot compare to the sweetness of our Savior. The, the hardships, the persecution, the difficulties, sin and sickness, nothing, none of it compares to the sweetness of our suffering Savior who's gone on before us, who's made an eternal home for us, and who's coming back just like He wants to. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Hallelujah.